All right, good morning, everyone. Just a couple quick things I want to point out. First of all, many of you know we have a, a women's ministry here that's very vibrant, and each year they have a women's breakfast, a Christmas breakfast, and this year's Christmas breakfast, if, if you got one of these, um, tells us that the theme is going to be home for Christmas. So Pastor Bob's wife, Janet, is going to be speaking. It's two weeks from now on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. But we would love to encourage you to invite a friend. It's a real, it's very directed for outreach, for people who may be exploring and want to learn more about Christ. So uh, by all means, be praying and, and asking the Lord to work to bring many ladies to hear the good news about the Lord Jesus and pray for Janet that she can communicate the gospel. Um, if you want to find out more about it, you can see one of us or it's online and there's this handout. And then also this Wednesday night, we have a Thanksgiving Eve service. That's always a special service because we take time to allow people to share testimonies. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so come with something to share. It's this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. And we'll look forward to what God has to say. All right, as he speaks to you. Now this morning, we're continuing our study of the doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm going to ask our, our folks to come now. If you don't have a Bible, if you're visiting with us, we want to give you a Bible. It's amazing how many people, um, like me, I, I didn't grow up in a church where we read the Bible all the time, so it was new. So if you would like to have a Bible, just raise your hand. You can keep this Bible, and we hope that it will become something you'll start to read. We're not ashamed to, we'll tell you right up front, we teach from the Bible. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. I frequently have people tell me, not because I'm doing anything fancy, but because their church doesn't teach. They'll go, I learned more from the Bible today in my whole life. So that, that would be great. But everything we say, we try to say, listen, we're not here to have fun or socialize. We want to hear from God. And so I encourage you to be reading the Bible. But one of the things that will help you to read the Bible better is to understand the doctrines of the Christian faith, the big picture. And so we've talked about what the Bible teaches about God, what it teaches about Jesus, what it teaches about the Bible, what it teaches about sin and man. But this morning, we're going to continue our study on the, the doctrine of Christ. Let me make sure this is on, okay? So, what does the Bible teach about Jesus, specifically? And we have a doctrinal statement. We have 31 people in our new members class in which we go through some of the statements like this. Don't worry about that. All I want you to know is that's in our doctrinal statement. But we said, when you're studying what the Bible teaches about Jesus, you talk about his person, how he's God, how he became a man, how he was innocent and sinless and died on the cross, rose again and God exalted him. He's seated at the right hand of God and we learned last week that he's building his church. But you can't learn about Jesus without spending a lot of time right here. Even the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are not biographies of Jesus. They're really stories of the passion of Christ. Some of the Gospels spend a third of the Gospel on the last week of the life of Jesus. Because those six hours one Friday are perhaps the most important theme in the Bible. The cross of Jesus Christ. And we call that his atonement. And I want to make sure that every one of you understands, because we all kind of have some of the pieces floating around, but that you fully understand what does the Bible teach about the atonement of Christ when Jesus hung on that cross. And so let's pray together and we'll study. Father, Jesus said when he's lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. You said that the preaching of the cross is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. And as Christians, we want to hear the truth. We want to know the truth about Jesus. So speak to us 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory and fame of God through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, this morning we're going to talk about several things. Number one, the need for atonement. Number two, how did God provide for atonement? A sacrifice and a mediator. And then we're going to look at, a, a look at Christ's atonement. So when the Bible says he, he was our propitiation or our reconciliation, like, what does that mean? And then finally, there's an app for that. Like, you can't learn about the cross of Christ and do nothing about it. So I want to begin by asking, why do we need atonement? Now, we ought to know what that word means. It comes from an old English word, at one mint, and it has the idea of bringing a relationship back together. Okay? So it's not necessarily the, the most common word in the Bible, but it's a word that people have used to describe what Jesus did on the cross to bring God and man back together. So we start with this question, why was an atonement necessary? Right? And the first thing that we learn is because Sin is what separates mankind from God. So, so I want you to think about this. God created Adam and Eve, and he walked and talked with them. They could see him. They had a relationship with him. But when they sinned against God, he withdrew his presence and expelled them from the garden. And throughout the story of the entire Bible, we learn that it is sin that separates us from God. Isaiah said, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So the reason we need an atonement is because sin separates us from God, but an even greater reason is because sin also has a penalty. It's not just that we're disconnected from God, but God has very clearly told us in the Bible that those who sin against me must pay for it. Ezekiel said, all souls are mine, souls of the Father, souls of the sons, the soul that sins, it shall die. We need to understand that when God's talking about sinning here, he's not just saying murder. It's pride and lust and laziness and disrespect and disregard of God. So the Bible is really clear. There's this awful penalty for sin. And a lot of people don't, well, I, don't yeah, I don't believe in a God who would do that. Well, then you don't believe the Bible. Right? Just, just let's get that out on the table. But the Bible says that the outcome and penalty for our sins is that we must be separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. And the Bible describes that. It's not that God wants to do that. The judge has to exact the payment. So the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, the sea will give up the dead. Death and Hades will be put into the lake of fire. Men will be judged according to their deeds. And then Death and Hades are thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And then the Bible says, anyone whose name isn't in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. So why do we need an atonement? Well, because sin separates from God. And unless God does something to fix it, you and I have to go into hell. Now let's, let's mark this down, though, that the atonement was not necessary. God didn't go, oh, gosh, they messed up. I got to do something. No, he didn't have to do anything. A righteous judge does not have to do anything to fulfill his, his holy office. But in his mercy, God determined that he would make a provision that, that, that somehow he would atone for Adam and Eve's and our sins, provided that we respond appropriately. appropriately. Now, here's a way to think about that. When Adam and Eve sinned, God did not come down from heaven and say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to send my son Jesus Christ. He's going to be born of the Virgin Mary. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to rise again. He's going to shed his blood to wash away his sins. And I'm, he's going to come again and set up a new heaven and new earth. It was progressively revealed, a little bit at a time. But it's really important to understand this, that God's not up there going, oh no, the world's out of control. What just happened? They're not following me. This was all part of, he knew exactly what he was doing when he created this world. There's a drama unfolding on planet Earth, and you're a part of it. And this drama of atonement and redemption was planned even before the world began. The Bible says Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So God began to reveal the means by which he would provide atonement. And the first thing he he revealed is that he would mercifully permit a substitute sacrifice. So rather than the sinner paying for their sins, that he would mercifully permit a substitute sacrifice. So look at this verse. You know, I like to think, why did God create us with stomachs and food and oxygen and lungs and and these little tubes in our body with red fluid flowing through them this was all part of his plan and so god had determined that blood inside of us is is the very essence of what makes us alive don't leave home without it you bleed out you're done so god said in the bible the life of the flesh is in the blood and i have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls It is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So early on, God revealed through the Old Testament sacrifices that if an innocent substitute shed its blood in pouring out its life, that he would accept that and make atonement for the souls of men. Now, by the way, don't make too much about blood without death, right? Jesus didn't just prick his finger and say, I took one for the team. It's the pouring out of blood to death that God has offered to accept as a substitute. But he he began to make it really clear that, you know, it wasn't just like pick or choose or have it your way. So one of the things that he indicated is, I will accept an animal sacrifice. One of the the, the most important ones was a lamb. And on the, the Passover, which the Jews continue to celebrate, God said, you shall... Take a lamb, but your lamb shall be an unblemished lamb, a spotless lamb. And there was a reason for that. Because if if the dirty, defiled sinner is going to have somebody take their place, it had to be a spotless substitute. Otherwise, if it's a dirty sinner, how's he going to die for another sinner? He needs to pay for his own sin. So symbolically, a spotless lamb indicated the innocent one dying for the guilty one. But it didn't stop with that. Then God went as far as to say, you need to have your sins transferred to the spotless substitute. And so throughout the Old Testament, as you read about the the priests and the sacrifices, this was because there was a symbolic transfer, particularly on one special day, which the Jews called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And they still celebrate that, okay? But on the original teaching of the Bible, on the Day of Atonement, Aaron would lay his hands on a live goat, and then he would confess the sins of the people. And then he would lay them on the head of the goat, or of the lamb, or of the bull. And symbolically, what God was indicating is, I will take the guilt of your sin, and I will place it on an innocent, spotless lamb, 
and then that animal will die in your place. It will shed its blood. Now, when that happened, God said, I will make atonement, which in the Old Testament, the word kafar just meant to cover. So these animal sacrifices never took away sin. They just covered sin. Now, it's interesting if you were to ask your Jewish friends today, hey, listen, I know you still have Yom Kippur, but what about the sacrifices, right? Your, your temple is not uh, occupied by the priesthood and, and you can't have sacrifices. So many of them have come up with an answer to that, and that is, well, God doesn't really, sacrifice isn't the most important thing because Psalm 51 says, God doesn't delight in sacrifice. A contrite heart he will not despise. So as long as you're sorry for your sin. But I can tell you, that is not what the Bible teaches. And I would not try that in court. If you have 100 tickets, the judge will not go, are you sorry? Then you don't have to pay. So there needed to be a sacrifice. So the animal then was sacrificed and shed its blood and died. And you read that over and over again in the Old Testament. So by the time the New Testament was written, they got that big concept. It says, according to the law, one might almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Okay? So it's not about just being sorry. Who's paying for it? And the shedding of blood reminds us that the innocent died for the guilty. But even once the sacrifice was made, who's going to mediate that? Who's going to take that blood and bring it to the judge and show him that the sacrifice has been made? And so God instituted the Old Testament priesthood. Okay? So he said, I want you to, to take Aaron and he will be the great high priest. And so the high priest then became the mediator he was the one who offered the sacrifice for himself and others. And then he would take the blood. And those of you who haven't studied this yet, as you learn about the Old Testament, they would take the blood into this place called the holy place and they would place it on an altar. And that was a symbol of bringing the blood to God through the mediating high priest. And so that mediator then was ordained, and we'll just move through this quickly, God talks about how the priest, on the day of atonement, he shall make atonement, okay? So you didn't just come up to God and say, hey, God, sorry for my sins, okay? But the priest did that, okay? Now, we're not talking about priests today. That's a very different thing from the Old Testament priesthood, okay? So, why did we need atonement? Sin separates from God and we deserve to go to hell. How did God mercifully provide it? Through a substitute, a sacrifice, shedding of blood, and a mediator. Okay, Fast forward to Christ. These animal sacrifices never permanently took care of the problem. Every year they, they came back at the Day of Atonement. And day by day the priests were continually offering sacrifices. In fact, the Bible says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now, that's, I think there's a, a, a parallel here. Because it says, these people, even after they made a sacrifice, still had consciousness of their sins. And for some of you, you'll, you'll connect with this. You may have been raised in a religion where you were told, come and tell the priest your sins, right? And then he will tell you to say the rosary or whatever he will tell you to do, and they'll say, your sins are forgiven. But somehow, for some of you, you were going, I don't know about that. I mean, what if he's wrong, right? Why do I believe that 
some guy can just tell me you're forgiven. Why, why do I believe that? What about his sins? Who's forgiving him? Is that what the Bible says? And so in the same way as these people offered these sacrifices and on the Day of Atonement, God said in the Bible, I will pardon you, they still had a consciousness that this wasn't the final solution, that somehow this was pointing to how God would ultimately take care of the sin problem. And so this morning then we want to take a look in detail at what Christ did when he came to this earth. Jesus came with a very specific mission. He came to give his life, the Bible says, as a ransom. He came to be the Lamb of God. He came to be that mediating high priest that could bring us to God. And so, look at this beautiful verse. For there is one God. Okay, so you can't go, oh, they're all just different religions. No, there's one God. He's not Allah, not Buddha. Okay, the Bible says he's Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of the Bible. Okay, now you're like, oh, you're so arrogant. I didn't say it. You don't have to believe it, but that's what the Bible says, and you have to decide, is that the truth? And that this one God has provided one mediator between God and men. Now, who is that mediator? It's the man Christ Jesus. Now, think about that. If you were raised in the Orthodox tradition, well, you, you can talk to the saints, and then they can talk to God. If you're from the Roman Catholic tradition, well, you can talk to Mary, and she talks to God. But if you're going to say, I... I'm going by the Bible. You don't need to go through any priest. You don't need to go through Mary. You don't need to go through any saints. You come to God directly through Christ. Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to God but through me. So if God's on the other side of that stage, I can't go around the cross and come to God. If I'm going to come to God, I, got, I have to come through Jesus. Now, some people think that's, how dare you be so arrogant and, you know, it's so, you, you think you're the only way. I don't think I'm the only way. I never said it. He did. Now, if that's the truth, then I need to think about, okay, do I get right with God through something I do or something he did? So, Jesus is our high priest, but our high priest offered himself as our sacrifice. Now, for some of you, you're like, oh, I've, I've heard this verse before. You used to say it in church. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I grew up every Sunday in a church. They didn't teach the Bible, but we would stand up and say, I, have a, I believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried, third day, rose from the dead. <laughs> right over my head, right? And some of you growing up going, behold the Lamb of God. But whoop, but stop for a moment. What in the world does that mean? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Does it say, he did his part, now you do yours? He paid for some of your sins and you need to go to purgatory? You need to earn his favor? Or is he indeed the Lamb of God who took away my sin? Did he say, it's almost finished? Or did he hang on the cross and say, it's finished? So you go, wow, all right. And so as the New Testament points us to Christ, it says, look, you weren't redeemed with perishable things, right, silver or gold. Don't come to church and go, I, I hope I can get some money and God will pardon me. Which, by the way, I forgot to do this. Real quick. These are for sale in the bookstore. Why am I doing this now? Because Bob will kill me. But I'm going to say this, and I say this with fear and trembling. 
I am not telling you this to make a dime. We do not make a penny. And if you're visiting with us, we do not want your money. We are selling these because we are helping a ministry in Rwanda that you can read about. They're $8 a bag. We buy them at cost, and the entire money goes over to help this Rwandan ministry. But Bob asked me to do that, and I don't want to have to go, oh, Bob, I forgot. So, but again, they're for sale out there. We don't make a dime, and please don't say, don't turn my father's house into a house of merchandise, a den of thieves. I get it. All right, so Jesus shed his precious blood. He's the spotless lamb. He never sinned. Okay, all right. So, so what he did on that cross is really important. So important that when you read the Gospels, they tell you the story. You read the narratives. He's groaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what they don't tell you is what happened up there. And so Jesus told the apostles, I have other things I'm going to teach you, and the Holy Spirit will reveal these things to you. So later when Paul and Peter and John wrote, they began to explain what happened. And so the Bible uses at least three prominent terms to describe Christ's work on the cross. There are three New Testament words that Scripture uses to say, hey, listen, when you think about Christ's atonement, think about these three things. Number one, the word propitiation. The Bible says in 1 John 2, I write these things so you don't sin. But if you sin, Jesus himself is the propitiation for our sin. You say, what is a propitiation? Well, the word propitiation means to satisfy anger. It's not some spooky spiritual word. That was a word that was used back then. If someone's mad at you and you can satisfy them, you're like, well, give me an example. Okay. If you back into my car, I'm mad at you. I won't yell at you, but I'll go, you just put it in in my car. When you hand me your insurance and say that'll pay for it, you just propitiated me. I'm satisfied. We're good again. If you drive away quickly, I'm going to write down your license, right? So, so if I back into your car, you should be mad at me. Not in, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Get the big picture. I don't want, you know what I mean. If somebody offers to pay, you go, okay, I'm satisfied. I'm, I'm, we're good now, okay? So, people don't even have a category for this. If your God is just a granddad in the sky, children, I love everybody. That's not in the Bible. God does love everybody, but there's something he hates, and it's sin. And God has emotions. And the Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. Right? So if you're looking for just a granddad God, you, you're probably going to have to make one up. Because he loves sinners, but he hates sin. And it deeply disturbs him every day that you ignore him. Not just, he's not saying, I only hate it if you kill people. He hates all sin. And he's angry about it. And like a, like a growing fire, that's what's coming for everyone who is not atoned for. You will experience the wrath of God, okay? But Christ, by going up to the cross, we just sang, for on the cross, when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Every sin on him was laid. So here's a good illustration in the... In the time when the, the settlers were moving west in the early years of our country, one of the things they feared most was prairie fires. They feared, you know, other things, but prairie fires, because you've got a, a caravan of women and children and animals and so forth. And if a prairie fire is going, you don't have a whole lot of options. You can't outrun it. So you're, you're in some serious danger. But they, they figured out, wait, here's what we can do. If we see a fire coming, we can light the prairie on fire where we are. Right? Which at first you're like, 
So what, you light yourself on fire? So the, no, they would watch where the prairie fire burned, and then where it was already burned, they would then move all of their wagons and possessions into that place where it was already burned, right? And thus, they were safe from that raging fire because that place was already burned. In the same way, God's wrath is coming for you. But there's a place where it's already burned, on the cross, where Jesus satisfied God's wrath. And so you're like, well, how does that count for me? Well, then you better get where it's already been burned. You better get connected with Christ so that what he did is not just something that happened on a hill far away, but it's applied to you. And we'll talk about that later. So that's a word. Thank God. God's not mad at you, Christian. He's satisfied. Jesus paid for your sins. There's another word, the word reconcile. This is a great word because it's a relational word, okay? The Bible uses this word twice to describe human relationships. It says, if you're going to give an offering to God, but you remember your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. So you go to your brother, hey man, I'm sorry for, for what I said to you the other day, right? You get that. You restore harmony. Or it's even used in marriage. It says, if, if two Christians separate, let them be reconciled. It, it's God's desire, if possible, for, for Christians to be reconciled, right? We get that. So how do I get reconciled? I have to remove the barrier. But the interesting thing is, when someone needs to be reconciled, it's the offender who is supposed to initiate reconciliation. Please never come to me and say, I really yelled at my wife and I was so angry at her, I just went crazy. And as soon as she comes and, and tells me that I should be sorry, then I will... You know, what do you mean as soon as she comes? If you offended someone, you are the one who's initiating reconciliation. You don't wait for them to do that. But God didn't do that. He didn't wait for us to initiate it because we would never have done that. But instead, the Bible says, he reconciled us to himself. In Romans 5, it says, when we were enemies and hostile, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Now, this is really cool because it's good news and bad news. It's quite possible to have somebody really mad at you and you don't even know it, right? Like, hey, last time we talked, oh, what's up, dog? Hey, pal, yeah. The next day, you're like, how's it going? You know. No, I don't. Something happened? You know. Oh, no, I don't. Well, think about this. Do you think most people know that God's mad at them? That God's angry with them? That they're hanging over the precipice of hell and they don't even know it? Go to the mall and take a survey. What do you think God thinks about you? They're like, I'm not a murderer or a crackhead. We're good. So we have bad news first to tell people, you badly need to be reconciled to God. You're like, I don't want to tell people that. They're going to get upset. If I saw a blind man walking toward a cliff, he might get upset, but I'll at least warn him, right? But then we got good news to tell him. But here's the good news. God sent Christ so that you could get reconciled to him, and he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So we need to tell people, hey, I appreciate that you go to church and all, but that's not how you get to heaven. You got to realize God's mad about your sin, but Christ died to reconcile you if you'll receive his reconciliation. Then the third word, and you've heard this word before, redeemed, right? We sing about it, I've been redeemed. We did it at camp. 
I've been redeemed. Or, if you, you know, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. I mean, everybody knows. They've heard this word. Come on, girls, you've heard it. Remember when that cheap boyfriend took you out on the first date, and you're like, wow, he's spending a lot of money. Then he pulls out the coupon, right? That cheapskate. Two for one. But then the waitress says, ah, oh, but it's not redeemable after this date. And he goes, I don't have my wallet. Do you have any money? And you're like, and that's why I didn't marry that guy. But the word redeem was not like this spiritual word. It was just a word that was used to purchase something. So if you went to the store, pardon, this is not how they would say it. They're like, I'd like to agarazzo that. I'd like to buy it. I'd like to purchase it. Okay? So as the Holy Spirit was revealing to the New Testament authors, when Christ hung up on the cross, he was redeeming us. He was purchasing us. Okay? My wife will come home sometimes and she'll have bought something. She'll say, I got a great deal on this. And I learned something from her dad. Her dad used to say when mother would come home and got a great deal, he'd say, I can't afford for you to keep saving me so much. <laughs> right? Because at the end of the day, whatever the deal was, you still bought something and it cost money. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Because when we think about buying something, there's a price and you pay it to somebody. Okay? So think clearly about this. Number one, who did Jesus pay? He didn't pay the devil. The devil wasn't going, aha, it's got all these souls. What are you going to give me? Jesus like, okay, I'll die. He didn't pay the devil. He paid God. And how much did he pay? The Bible says he bought us with his blood. And when we get to heaven, here's a heavenly scene. This is the stuff we're going to be singing in heaven. Worthy are you, Lord Jesus, to take the book and break its seals. For you were slain. You are worthy. You died, Lord Jesus. And you purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And if, if you or I are going to be in heaven, it's better be because we're bought by the blood. And we're going to see people, where are you from again? I never even heard of that remote place. And God's going to bring to himself this teeming multitude of people. And the one thing we share in common is we're going to sing praise to our Redeemer. But you know, there's, there's sort of a, an implication of this. If somebody bought you, then you ain't yours no more. Pardon my grammar. Children, mother's right. Don't use ain't. But, 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 but think about this. The Bible says, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's inside of you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own because you've been bought with a price. Same word. You've been bought with a price. What was the price? The blood. Therefore, the Bible says, glorify God with your body. So when I'm out there sinning away and disregarding Christ, I'm basically saying, yeah, whatever. The Bible says, what kind of punishment will men deserve who trample underfoot the blood of Christ? God sent his son to purchase us and we disregard that precious blood. So, thank God that Jesus, and you spend the rest of your life singing and learning and growing and reciting and rehearsing these wonderful things. Now, you can't talk about the atonement with at least becoming familiar with this, okay? Now we're going in the deep end. And the Bible says the solid food of the word is for mature Christians, okay? Some of you, this is brand new. You never heard it. And you're like, what are you talking about? There is a debate among Christians as to whom Christ died for. Like, I thought he died for everybody. Well, those of you who hold that view, that's called unlimited atonement. Jesus died for everyone. However, there are many Christians who believe that Christ only died for those whom he would bring to himself. That's called 
limited atonement. And there's all kind of words that are used to sort of qualify the scope, particular atonement and so forth. But big picture, there are verses that seem to teach one or the other, and you're going, wait. So for example, we just saw a verse. Christ is a propitiation for our sins, but not ours only, but the sins of the whole world, right? He's done for everybody then. But then there are other verses where Jesus will say, I gave my life a ransom for many. Like, what do you mean many? I thought you did it for everybody, right? And so some people would say, well, it would be unreasonable and illogical for God to let Christ die for someone who's going to have to pay for their own sin because they wouldn't receive Christ. In fact, it would be wrong for God to punish them because Jesus already paid for them. He can't require a double payment. And you're like, well, wait, yeah, there's some logic to that. But on the other hand, I don't determine what I believe based on my logic. But what do you think the Bible teaches? Okay? So don't get bent out of shape on this. What do I believe? Yes. <laughs> Depends on what day you ask me, what passage I'm reading. But know this. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I won't cast out. So don't, don't let the devil tell you, oh, he didn't die for you, though. You want to know if he died for you? You come to him today. All right. So, that was fascinating, Pastor Tom. Can we go now? Almost. But like an iPhone, there's an app for that. And, and, and if I can't take what happened on the cross and apply it to my life, wow, that's probably the saddest thing that has ever happened to anybody, is to have learned about that and walk away unchanged. So, the first thing I want to ask is this question. If you're a seeker, if you're still exploring Christianity, or, or you really, even if you grew up with it, if you haven't made a personal decision, this is a big deal. Has Christ's sacrifice been applied to you? I mean, you can stand up and say, I believe Jesus died for my sins. Well, you might believe that, but the devil believes that Jesus died on the cross. Okay? So what he did on the cross has to be applied to you and you have to have your sins washed away by the blood. In the book of Revelation, John describes a heavenly scene in which he sees a teeming multitude of people. And he says, who are these? And he says, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Frequently, the Bible will describe that. You need to be washed in the blood of Christ. You're like, well, how do I do that? Do I bring my laundry? Well, don't make it too complicated. If you know you're dirty and you know he cleanses you, you come to him the best you know how. You don't offer to give him some scrub-a-dub to help take it off. You go, I am spent, Lord, but I believe with all my heart. I repent from my sin and I come and I pray, Lord Jesus. I believe that your blood will wash me, O Lord. We used to sing an old gospel hymn. Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing blood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And, and, and this morning, you and God know whether you're washed. And if you're waiting, that's a bad idea. Because you might, this morning, you might say, I want to be washed. I need to be washed. And if you put it off tomorrow, you might not want to anymore. Or today, something might happen to you, and you don't get another chance. So if God is drawing you and calling you, and you get it, then come to Jesus this morning and say, Lord, I, I believe, I repent of my sin, and I... I, I pray that you'll forgive me and change me. And he will take what happened there. You're basically saying, I'm Velcroing myself to the cross. I'm casting my entire hope 
on Jesus Christ and what he did for me. Why should God let me into heaven? Because Christ died for my sins. If you believe that, could I get an amen for that, please? You out there like, no. No, that's big stuff. All right. But we're like, most of us have already done that. So believer, what does the cross mean to you? Think about it. Behold the, the man upon the cross. What, is that, what, what does he mean to you? What does he mean to me? I thought a lot about this. I'm like, wow. There's a lot of ramifications. Okay, let, let me just go through a couple of them. Number one, it means goodbye yellow brick road, which is old life. Okay? You cannot stay who you were before Christ and come to the cross. So this is how Paul described the Christian life. He said, I'm crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, right? So there's a break with your past where you say, I'm not trying to do both. I'm a Christ follower, a forgiven Christ follower. And now the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith. This I, Tom, before he was saved, he's dead. The new I is the, is the life of Christ in me. I'm nobody, it's Christ in me. I live day by day by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So think about that. Are, are you still living like the old I? Have you been baptized yet to publicly? It doesn't get you to heaven, but when you become a Christian, you stand up and say, I've been washed. I've been buried with him. I'm raised to walk in newness of life. Those of you who are Christians, remember your baptism. That was a big deal. Go back there and go, praise the Lord. I might have lost my way, but I'm not the old I. But then accompanied the old I was the world and my old friends and, you know, doing my thing and, and hanging with my peeps and, and just ignoring God and living the dream and just all that this world offers in opposition and, and disregard of God. It's not like we're all a bunch of drug dealers, murderers, you know, but the world system is an evil system. Most people, God's not on their radar, and the Bible says when you become a Christian, you come out from that world. You say, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. You remember how that went for Lot's wife? Oh, I, I, I like Sodom and Gomorrah. I want to go back. So as a Christian, as I think about the cross, I'm reminded that the Bible says, I shouldn't boast in anything but the cross through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Like, I'm done with this world. You can have all this world, the songwriter said, but give me Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold, riches untold, wealth and land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. Right? And that's a journey because in America, we're not worried about getting killed. The devil's like, don't worry about persecution. Just stay comfy. Just stay cozy. Just have pleasure. Don't pursue Christ. Don't make waves. So, picking up a little theme here, how about this one? I will cling to the old rugged cross. What does that mean? I will cling to the old rugged cross. I think about the cross. I rehearse it in my mind. Even at communion, the Lord says, on the night he was betrayed, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You don't have to wait till communion to think about the cross. You and I should think about the cross every day. The Bible says, if you're going to follow me, Jesus said, take up your cross daily. We just read in 2 Corinthians 5, he died for me, 
so that I would no longer live for me, but for him. And I love to think about the cross. I need to think about the cross. If you go very long without thinking about the cross, the Holy Spirit's going to say, recalculating, recalculating. Come back to the cross. It's not that complicated. Jesus, the Lamb of God, shed his blood to forgive you so that you might become his follower, his disciple. How about this? Can you sing about the cross? This is my story, this is my song. Do you have some songs about the cross? I don't care if they're rap, heavy metal, but are the words biblical and are they about the cross? Because we're going to sing in heaven, Lord, you purchased me, but why wait? Sing about the cross. Jesus Christ, I think about your sacrifice. You became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at the gift you gave, and now I'm in that place once again. I find myself just, they just come and comfort me. I think about the thief on the cross. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there did I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. And so be sure to teach your children and teach your own soul. Don't just sing about God's greatness. Sing about Calvary. And finally, this is good stuff. Am I going to keep it to myself? Am I going to just go, they told me they're leaving. I, I, I said, I'm going to tease you and say, too much pressure, huh? No. They said, we're leaving early. Don't take it personal. Okay. But think about this. This is too good to keep to yourself. You're like, yeah, but when I try to tell people about the cross, some of them think it's dumb. I get it. The Bible says we preach Christ crucified. To, to some people, it's foolishness, right? But not to us. To us, the cross is the power of God, the wisdom of God. And so teach it to your children. Talk about it. Praise God for it. Get down on your knees and say, Lord Jesus, I praise your dear name that you're the lamb who was slain for me. And, and, you, and, you, and you live in the energy and power of the risen Christ who died and rose again. So, Having said that, we're going to close. We've got to sing one more song about the cross. I hope Tyler and um, his guys are going to lead us. We're going to sing one more song. And while we're doing that, um, here's what I would like to offer. From time to time, I invite people, if they get it, if you go, I get it, and I am wanting to leave this world and follow Christ. I believe that Jesus died for me. The Bible teaches that this conversion experience, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, is not something to keep a secret. It's a big deal to publicly step out and say, I want to be washed. I am ready to follow the Lamb. I have made that personal decision. Some of you have seen me do this before, and some of you say, oh, I was going to come, I was going to come. Here's an opportunity. While we're singing this song, if you have never publicly said, I want to follow Christ, and I want to be a forgiven sinner, and I believe, maybe you made that decision last year, this morning, but I want to invite you to come and stand with me. There were two folks that came in the first service, okay? You don't get saved by coming here, but it is a big deal to go public, to go, I'm cutting ties with this world, and I want to be identified as a forgiven follower of Christ. So I'm not going to make a big deal. We're not going to sip 12 lines, and I'll beg, 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 but the Holy Spirit works in hearts, and some of you, your heart's beating and the Spirit's moving in your heart, just come and say, I want to publicly identify, I want to do what the Bible says, confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And we will celebrate with you
and rejoice. So Tyler, lead us, and once they start singing, just come and join me as the Holy Spirit leads you to do that.